In May 8, 2020, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres said that the pandemic continues to unleash a tsunami of hate and, and xenophobia, scapegoating and scaremongering. In a study released by the California State University Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism, hate crimes in 16 of the United States' most populous cities in 2020 increased almost 150% over the previous year. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast on This Professional Life, where we talk about all things related to building and growing your professional career in today's world. My name is Chris, and when I'm not working on This Professional Life, I'm busy managing business development and marketing initiatives at Denton's, a global law firm. And I'm Nina, and when I'm not working on This Professional Life, I'm busy managing clients at Edelman, a global public relations firm. So Nina, a bit of a change in our topic today, um, although I think it is very relevant to professionals trying to make their mark in today's uh, world. But I mean, obviously not a good thing. We're seeing a massive increase in uh, hate crimes against Asians in both US and Canada. And a lot of it is tied to, you know, the coronavirus and COVID-19 and and people lashing out their anger. But before we dive into, you know, more the Asian hate crime, I think in general, we've seen just this, I would say, and I think this has been talked about by psychologists as well, but just this transformation in attitudes in certain individuals in our society where they it's freely open to lash out at people in public. You know, I think pre-COVID, these people were around, but, you know, they kept it they kept their opinions to themselves. And I think COVID's kind of just moved this to the next level for a lot of these individuals. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, COVID's been tough on everybody. And I think people are, are also lashing out, but they also just need to find somebody to blame. And unfortunately, that is the Asian community. And that's only because the first case was found in Wuhan, China. But had this been anywhere else in the world, I think those groups would have still been attacked. And I think that's the tough thing is that you're right. Racism is just not, it's around our world. And it's its sad to say, but I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. On that note, though, I, I feel and because I hear this too, a lot of people saying, well, it came from China. So we should call it the Chinese flu. Um, and then, of course, you saw the previous president of the United States, you know, have some colorful language around what he called the flu. And I don't think that helped. But I, I have to say, and, you know, I might get a little controversial here, but, you know, let's just look at the variant cases. One of the most prominent variant cases is from the UK. And they do call it the UK variant. But there's a difference. I, I don't see a lot of people going out and looking for British people to go, <laughs> you know, lash out against. And I think that's the difference. I think, sure, you can call it the Chinese flu. I agree it came from China. But the problem is you got certain individuals in society that will now go target Chinese people. Whereas you call it the UK variant, which is apparently a lot more um, uh, infectious and spreading. But you're not going to go see a bunch of people go out and you know seek out British the British consulate and go spray paint on their wall. I think that's the difference. And that's where I have the biggest issue with. Yeah. And I think just being, you know, minority groups, it's easy to identify us, right? Like, it's very easy to point out like, oh, this person isn't Caucasian, and they look different. So let I can attack them. And I think that's also another reason the attacks have been so intense. But I think to this point, also, like, we're everyone's at home, which 
means like we these attacks shouldn't be happening. So the fact that this has happened while we're still at home, I think is really sad. And what would have been the case had we not been in lockdown? How many more people would have been hurt? And you know, how many different groups would have been affected by this? I have friends that live in uh, Santa Monica, California, and you know it's a very liberal you know state down there. But even in the middle of COVID, when he took his family out for a walk, the people across the street yelling, "Go home, go back to China." Right. Like it. And that was, as you said, during lockdown, I have plans to, you know, I want to go travel in the U.S., but uh, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. Like it's it's scary. And because these are random attacks, too. Right. Um, So I really question the safety. And as you said, we're immigrants and we look, you know, we're visible minorities. Right. So it's not hard to point us out in a crowd. The sad thing about all of this is that we are pointing to the U.S. And I think the president definitely opened the conversation to allow people to be more candid with their speech but this does happen in Canada as well and like I know from my personal experience after 9-11 just how we are my family was treated um and that was really tough as well and I think that goes back to my point was that like racism sadly is here to stay and I think we have these great conversations but people don't act and I think one of those reasons at least in our culture is that Asian culture is very much about your external presence in society. And I think we're very, we don't always stand in solidarity together where it's always like, oh, well, that's a different group. But in reality, like we all face a lot of very similar concerns when it does come to racism. And I wish that we could stand together. But the thing is, is that, and I don't know about your family, Chris, but for my family, it's very much so like, you know, like just keep quiet, don't get involved. Like it's not your problem. Um, and then if we do speak about other groups, like for example, with currently what is happening with the Chinese community, it's like, you know what, well, why aren't you focusing on your own community? Like, why are you trying to go and help somebody else? Like you should be just, you know, like keep the matters of, just focus on the matters of your own home. And I think that's tough too, is that we segregate, as minority groups, we segregate ourselves. And I think if we were more unified, we could help eradicate some of these hate crimes and racism. Yeah, and that's been a bit of a, I don't want to call it a pet peeve, but it's it's been a struggle of mine. Uh, and I what I'm hearing, it's, it's similar in, in your culture as well. You know, the Chinese culture has always been about don't rock the boat. Keep your head down, just work hard. Um, you know, they, they say that uh, East Asians, right, and, and they lump uh, all of us in that category, is that we'll, we'll work, you know, 24-7 just to get things done. And I think that's ingrained in our culture a bit. It's like, keep your head down, just work hard, and don't offend anybody, right? Because you've got your own path. And if you offend anybody, you might, uh, you might hinder that process. And it's been a struggle of mine because growing up in Canada born and raised in Canada, you've got that Western, like, freedom, like, let's, let's have liberty, let's speak out, right? Um, so I struggle with that a lot. Because yeah, in, in the Chinese culture, it's don't rock the boat. And but I think we're starting to see that change, especially with first generation Asians speaking out, you see a lot of Hollywood actors now getting involved, and they're all first gen Asians. Um, you know, they're making t-shirts, they're on Facebook, they're like trying to spread the message. Um, and I know a lot of like the Asian actors right now are using their platform to really get a lot of these initiatives off the ground and making like, because I think without, honestly, and I hate to say this, but without them speaking out loud, I don't think we'd be hearing 
about these daily physical attacks in uh, the Bay, especially the Bay Area where the Chinese population is massive. Um, I don't think we would hear them. The sad part of all of this is that people are speaking out, but they're still being attacked, right? Yep. So I, I know for um, in the Indian community, Mina Harris posted about the farmers protest in India. And what ended up happening is that people were burning her photo in India. And so she's trying to stand up against injustice, but then people are taking it so far. So I think then that goes back to why our families are, they, you know, they're like, just stay in your lane, just keep your head down, don't say anything, because people don't hear you standing up for injustice as a good thing. They see it as another way to attack you. Um, so it is great to hear all these celebrities are speaking out, but it's really sad that even those celebrities who are held in such high regard are still being tormented um, when they do speak up. So I think, of course, if I'm seeing Mina Harris's picture being, you know, burned to the ground, I don't want to do, I don't want to stand up, right? Because yeah. who knows, like I might be banned from the country or like something might happen if I do travel to India. And I think then we're all silenced even further. But, you know, an interesting thing that Edelman puts out, or Edelman, Edelman is very well known for the trust barometer. And one of the things that they found during COVID is that people are actually looking to their CEO and influencers to stand up, to influence change. Um, and I think prior, we, you know, we kind of relied on our government and our government might not either have the tools or they might not recognize the importance of speaking up as soon as they can. So I think people are looking to those influencers and to those CEOs, and those are the companies that people want to work for, and those are the influencers people want to follow, are the ones who are speaking up against these things. Yeah, and I know at the height of like Black Lives Matter this summer, um, a lot of corporations, especially in Canada, started, you know, and we did this at Denton's as well, is we really got behind some of the initiatives, um, especially like the Black North for professionals, um, and making sure not only were we putting money behind it, but, you know, making sure the conversation was like, guys, we really need to address this. Um, systematic racism, you know, like professionals not moving up the ladder because of their race. You know, it's a big problem. And, you know, it is systematic because if you ask a lot of people, they'll say, no, we're not. I'm not racist. Like, what are you talking about? But yet the actions and the results say different. And so I think to your point, people are looking towards these influencers, these CEOs who will step up to the plate and take a stand and say, look, we're, we're done with this and we need to reshape how we look at, you know, how we operate. Um, and I think those companies will benefit. I think I saw a study uh, in another podcast that we do at Denton's. I think companies that address these issues and actually take a stance in increasing diversity and inclusion in their corporate uh, culture, see anywhere from a 16 to 18% increase in performance over the competitors. So if anything, fine. If you don't care about it and you care just about your bottom line, there you go, right? You know, it's interesting you make that comment that people won't, like no one says flat out that I'm a racist, um, but what was interesting is actually during the onset of the pandemic, a lot of Chinese restaurants were suffering because not only the pandemic, but also because people stopped ordering from Chinese restaurants. And that was solely due to the fact that it was being called the Chinese virus. And, you know, people weren't educating themselves on what exactly it is, but it was easy to point fingers at a group of people. And, you know, I 
my heart goes out to those people who had to close their doors because most of them are, you know, they are immigrant families and they've put everything like every dollar to open up shop. And, you know, that shop is what provided them, you know, a good life in a new country. And that's what helped them pay for their children's education also that they, their children could have a good life. And it's really sad that they had to close doors just because people were being flat out racist and not ordering from their restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's tough being an immigrant as it is, um, you know, and, and I often, I don't want to say I don't appreciate, but I often, um, underappreciate, is that a word? <laughs> underappreciate, like the things that my parents had to go through when they first came here. Like, it's one thing for me. Yeah. I'm a visible minority, but you know, as my dad always points out, he's like, Chris, you don't, you don't speak with an accent. He's like, you grew up in this culture, you know, the social nuances, right? When you're at a networking event for my dad, when he first came, it's like he had to learn English. Like his English was not too bad because they grew up in Hong Kong, British colony at that time. But, you know, he's like heavy accent, didn't know the landscape, but yet, you know, he made it through, uh, through sheer hard work. Right. Um, so it is tough seeing some of these immigrant families who, who came over here and with every penny set up a restaurant or whatever business. And now because of a perception and some people's feelings, they can't, uh, they can't have a living anymore. Yeah, it, it is tough. You know, we can probably talk a lot about this. I think this is obviously, you know, I'm passionate about it. You're, you are as well. But, you know, what are some things that we can do? I, and maybe let's not talk about our own community first, but like just in general, you know, what moving forward, because this only gets worse. I, I honestly feel this only gets worse. So what do we need to do? First thing is just educate ourselves and just learn about different experiences and be like, you know, open our hearts and be empathetic. Um, but also with that, let's just band together as human people, like at the soul of all of us, like we are all the same. So I think the more we try and find these differences is the more we're going to separate ourselves and the more we allow these opportunities for like for us to invite racism into our community. So I think let's just educate ourselves and connect on our shared experiences. It's interesting. We had a invert. We had a inclusion and a diversity meeting quarterly meeting uh, on Friday at Denton's. And one of the questions that was brought up by one of my colleagues, she said, look, as a Caucasian person, she's like, I sometimes want to speak out because I don't know if I would, I will say something wrong. Like, I don't know how to approach it. She's like, I just feel sometimes it's left for other people. And I said, that's the big problem. It sh it, we all need to be in this together. And I said, M I have an open door policy. So if there's something you're trying to understand or you don't know like how to approach it and how to say it because you're afraid of offending like me as a Chinese person, I said, just ask me. So I think there's two things here. Me as an Asian person, we need to let you know our advocates know just ask us like if you're unsure about something that might be you know have some sensitive nature behind it just talk to me first and don't make any assumptions and the worst part is not taking action because you're afraid that you might offend me because we need those advocates because without them it's hard for us to we can scream all we want but without those advocates on the other side you know a lot of these things don't get off the ground so so that's one of the things i told them is just talk to us first 
happy to help. I like, I totally understand. Like sometimes these conversations can be uncomfortable and they're uncomfortable for both parties. But I think the thing is that the more we have these, the more comfortable that they'll become. Um, and like one thing I like usually like to just say is like, oh, actually a more modern way of saying that is, and then I'll fill in the blank there. And it's just more of a conversation instead of being like, how dare you say this? Or like, like you are so backwards. Those are fighting words. And I don't think that is why people remain quiet because that is probably the experience that they've had. So just, you know, casually bringing it up, do it like do it that way. And, you know, in the moment you might not feel comfortable. And I've definitely been there where it's like someone said something and it, it, hurt me very personally and I was crying and I couldn't say anything I couldn't even speak so then what I did was like I just sent a note the next day just being like hey like you know this didn't sit well with me um this is kind of how I would have appreciated it like let me know if you want to jump on a call and we can talk about it and I just felt like like no one is ever intentionally trying to be rude so I think just like opening up that conversation makes it safe a safe space for both parties and I think that's kind of you're right like it's it's on both ends. We need to work together to help and racism and, you know, just be a safe, safe society altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nina, you found some sites as well. Like if you um, don't want to stand up and speak, there's also, you got donate with the dollars. I think you found some credible or ones that people can look into um, that they can support for some of these initiatives. Yeah, I did. So there is one, um, it's actually out of the US and it's the it's under hashtag stop Asian hate. Um, so there is a GoFundMe page and I think we can just add that in our link below so that uh, folks can learn more and then also donate if you'd like. Um, how about yourself, Chris? Do you know of any other organizations maybe in Canada? I don't know any specifically, but one of the things that you did bring up uh, in our notes here is that support local business. Uh, you know, I know our family, we, uh, sure, we buy from Chinese restaurants for sure. But we also look at different other restaurants, cultural restaurants too, to support. And I think the more we can expose like our family to it and our friends, the better. So I, I think supporting local businesses in terms of what we can do in Canada might be the best bet. And actually that's something we do at Edelman. We've started a cooking with culture series. So um, nice. try and time it up with uh, like a holiday celebration and then we'll have a speaker um, and it's like people just do it in their kitchen and it's really fun and easy. But um, out of the episodes we've done, what's been most unique is most most um, communities have a very similar dish to what the what the speaker is sharing. So, for example, like I made pakore and um, there's other communities that like have fritters that are very similar. So it's just interesting you know, something like this, like we were so separate before. And then now as people are, are making these recipes together, we're like, oh, actually we're very similar. Um, so that's been exciting. But I think another thing is not just stopping at food. Like, of course we love food and um, like, you know, breaking bread is the common term that we've heard, but I think other things as well. So, you know, if you are looking for a clothes, like a new top or something, maybe support somebody who's local business um, and of a minority group or, you know, listening to music even of different minority groups and just things like that, helping promote those artists, um, you know, voting for those minority actors during the Golden Globes. I think little things like that, um, yeah. the more we see people that look like us, the more comfortable we will feel. Yeah, and those are great suggestions. So for the, uh, so that one's interesting, what you guys are doing at Elman. Is that just the staff that gets to share the cooking or like... Or do you reach out to the community and, and try to get like a local business to do that? 
So far, we've just been doing it with staff. And I think we'd be surprised at (laughs) the many hats Edelman people wear. Like not only are we uh, communicators, but also apparently chefs and influencers, (laughs) some of us. So it's been really interesting. Um, And actually our most recent one, we did extend to a family. So it was really interesting to see, you know, how a family together is involved with the food and like their celebrations. So it, I think we are expanding and it'll be interesting to see also how we can share this, not only with the community, but with our clients so that, you know, everyone's kind of learning together. That's amazing. I'll have to bring that up with Denton's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us. As I said, this topic, I mean, we just scratched the surface. I think there's a lot. So make sure to drop a comment below and let us know kind of what you've experienced and, you know, maybe some ideas on how we as a society can better tackle some of these big issues. So uh, if you enjoy this, make sure you hit the like button and don't forget to subscribe. You will get a notification every time we have a new podcast. So thanks again for joining everyone. Mm-hmm.